I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Good morning, Vic. Good morning. This is Vic Swallow, and... He's my uh, brother, or my first cousin, whichever one you want to <laughs> I claim him as a brother. <laughs> so, and he's a Lakota elder. He really knows a lot about the family history. So, he was older than me, let's see, by 10 years, huh, Vic? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, what year was you born? I was born in... 1939. Oh, okay. So you're actually 11 years older than me. Yeah, I just turned uh, 81 uh, last month. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And Vic has got a just a phenomenal memory. Can you kind of explain to, to our listeners about how you came about learning all these stories? Well, ever since I was a little boy, I was very inquisitive. I think people got tired of me because uh, I asked so many questions. I uh, wanted to know why this or why that, and they used to call me a question box when I was a little guy, and it just continued on my whole life. I was uh, interested in people, uh, their ancestry, or where they come from, and uh, this was the Indian and the non-Indian, so I know a lot about uh, the Bricklayers Union and the men that were in there, and the previous uh, secretary of uh, the union, secretary business manager. And so I've made mental notes when my mother talked about uh, when she was a girl and who she knew and what her, uh, what impressed her. And she was kind of the historian of the Tubles family and, uh, her and her brother Moses Tubold, who was married to Dad's first cousin Effie Rulard. So that's how I come to uh, know a lot about uh, what what went on in the two previous generations. Sure. 
for for me, I was eight years old when Grandpa Oliver passed, and I do remember coming back for his funeral. We lived out of state at that time, and did really back then we didn't make it back very often. So a lot of my older cousins, they had the opportunity and the advantage of knowing him and because they live closer. And I know uh, Vic has told me some stories about him, and I wanted people to kind of understand what kind of man Oliver Swallow was. So can you tell us a little bit about him? Well, we had went down there. My father had a small herd of cattle, and we moved them from Red Shirt Table to... Um, south of the casino there, uh, Grandpa had some land there. And this is on yeah. the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, yes, okay. I was. Uh, I turned ten that year. It was in 1949 because we had that bad blizzard in '49. But anyhow, he was a small man, probably five seven. And he could, uh, he was a quarter Indian and three quarters French, but he could talk Indian as good as my mother, who that was her first language. She had to learn Indian, and I could remember him uh, sitting in a rocking chair with my sister B, who was six years old rocking and visiting an Indian uh, to my mother. So she knew a lot about uh, what went on in the Swallow and Glispy family from talking to Grandpa. And uh, He was a kind man. He uh, gave away a lot of things. But uh, I remember he, he was... He rode horseback when he was uh, 79 years old. He'd saddle up his horse and just go for a ride, you know. He never dressed like a cowboy. He had bib overalls and work shoes. And But at one time, he was uh, a big rancher down there, and he would uh, prepare for winter. He... He would be out there sawing wood, and I would sit on the log so it didn't roll, and and he would tell me stories. Uh, he had this farmhand that was full of it. He BS to make up stories, and he'd tell it to Grandma Swallow, and my own father thought his mom might have believed some of them stories, but... I would sit out there on this log, and when he wanted to pull it to saw off another chunk, yeah, I would get off and get back on. So I got to know him uh, probably better than my siblings, but uh, that's uh, that's who he was. Uh, he had this great big frame house that. Uh, that was built probably uh, in the early 19-teens because Dad, uh, that was the only house he ever knew. 
and it was a two-story house with two bedrooms downstairs and two upstairs. And at that time, when they built houses, they didn't spend a lot of time in the bedroom, so the living room was really big, the dining room was really big, and the kitchen was smaller. And in his kitchen, he had a, a pump that went out to his cistern. And uh, during spring storms, they would uh, haul that wet snow and fill that cistern up with snow. And then at times, they would haul barrels of water. And uh, that's where they would hang their cream and stuff that had to be that was basically his refrigerator. Oh. He was, uh, yeah. And he also had a, a, a blacksmith shop. He had a forge in there. I got his forge and his his anvil, and he had uh, all the stuff that uh, a blacksmith would have. That's kind of, in a nutshell, what he did and who he was. I remember you telling me a story about him being such a good horseman and about the coyote, and that wasn't a tall tale. That really happened. Do you want to share that with us? Yes. Grandpa Swallow was, uh, he broke his own horses. My father said he was a good horseman, and uh, his father called him Dutchman, and he he broke horses for his dad, uh, but he was telling my father about he was out riding, and he come over the hill, and there was a dam there, and, and there was a coyote along the edge looking at its uh, mirror in the, in the water, it kind of moving around and looking at it. It was puzzled, and... So he took out his gun and he shot right in front of that coyote where that image was. And he said the coyote fell over, howling backward and uh, messed all over himself and ran over the hill. He he thought that was funny. (laughs) But there's different stories. He had a sense of humor. He had a hired man. He had two hired men, and I remember the one was name was Pete Clawson, and the other's name, the last name was Smith. And the guy named Smith, uh, he would get his pay, and he'd go to Ulrich's, and he would stay drunk till he was finished, and then Grandpa would go get him. Well, anyway, the Smith guy, he borrow grandpa's uh, shotgun. Grandpa was a hunter too. He would go in the, the hills and hunt deer. He had two mounted big buffalo, big uh, deer stag mounts on the walls of his living room. But this uh, Smith guy came back and he brought some prairie chickens back and he told grandpa I shot these so many paces out there. It was it was a long ways, and 
Grandpa told him, well, you shouldn't do that. You're straining my gun. <laughs> you know, that's the sense of humor he had. He was a, a kind-hearted man, and he got lonesome to talk Lakota because he never uh, taught his kids how to talk Lakota because Grandma Swallow, his wife, was a half-breed Cheyenne, and she could talk fluent Cheyenne, so these kids, they just learned uh, English, but their talking was, it was a slang from down south, because their one grandfather was, both of them were from down south, but one of them, uh, Grandpa Glispie, was from uh, Missouri, and they had a plantation down there, and and they had colored uh, slaves, I imagine, and uh, so they had a different way of talking. Uh, they had uh, their own lingo. With for uh, bring me this, it was fetch, and for uh, pants or overalls, it was breeches. And there's a lot of uh, slang in there, and I, I would imagine the rest of the Gusta clan talked that way too. Uh, I know you had talked about Grandpa working for his dad, Eli, Eli Swallow, and something about a huge cottonwood that you remember? Yes, he, uh, my father said he, uh, Grandpa worked for his dad, who had a, uh, he had a mercantile store in Oryx, I got some receipts from 19, uh, I think it's 1912 from Swallow Mercantile Store. He also owned a hotel there, but and he had a ranch on the reservation that he had bought from one of uh, Grandpa Swallow's brother-in-laws. There was a a scheme by the state, but that's another story to acquire reservation land. And it didn't pan out for the state, but uh, his dad had a, a ranch and run cattle. And I don't know what the arrangement is. I can only guess that he used the grandpa's Indian preference and, and run these cattle. So he worked for his dad got so many head of heifers a month and then a salary. And uh, the the creek that runs through his property, the Blacktail Creek, the soil is as such, it didn't expand out. It just went down. So it was deep. And when it was a dry creek most of the time, but so he... Uh, knocked down a cottonwood, or maybe it was there, a big cottonwood. Uh, that's uh, along that creek. They're humongous. And he took and he hewed out and made a water tank out of it, and it was right there close to the bank. And he would go down there when it was running, and uh, maybe it was near a puddle, and he would get a pail of water and hand it up to 
uh, grandma swallow and she would dump it in this uh, homemade uh, water tank. He was an industrious little fella. He he had that blacksmith shop, and he he, he whether he uh, he might have got that from the school he went to, but uh, he had an arrangement with his dad, and uh, I don't. I got my suspicions, but he uh, acquired a, a nice herd of cattle where one year he told my mother he he shipped 200, 200 head of yearling steers to Omaha. and uh, But the thing that impressed me a lot was he, he didn't look like an Indian, but he could talk every bit of good as good a Lakota as my mother could. And he also served as an interpreter for the tribe when in later years they they went to uh, Washington. He did talk some of that, that they went into a hotel and these, these natives that he went with, their pillows and put them in a chair. They wouldn't well, they didn't want to use them because uh, they had greasy hair, and Grandpa said, well, they washed them. You know, that's part of what goes on here, but he said that's what they did. Uh, they had greasy heads, I guess, and were conscious of it. In later years, he lived out on the ranch with Aunt Joe and Uncle Bud, and one, one of my other cousins was telling me that He'd get money once a month, and I don't know what what that money was from, you know, whether it was Social Security or what, but he'd go to town, and when he came back, he always had a whole bunch of candy, and he he liked to give it to the grandkids. Yeah, I think back during that time, they had what they call an old age pension. My grandmother, she drew that, uh, my grandmother, two bolts. And uh, how they paid it back was after they died, the lease on the land they owned, uh, the government or the tribe, whoever paid this old age pension, uh, they would keep that lease, lease money. And I think that's what he got. And then... uh, he might have had money put up also, too, from when he had his cattle ranch. But he was such a kind-hearted guy that when his oldest daughter passed away, Dad said he stood at the, on, on the front of the church there, and everybody came out, he gave them money. That caused some friction with his oldest boy, or for giving that money away when uh, he needed some stuff himself. But that's who he was. He was kind-hearted, and he had two friends. They're full-bloods. One of them was Short Bull, and I never knew his first name, and the other one was uh, High White Man, Grant High white man. He was named after President Grant. 
and they would come out to the ranch to visit Grandpa, and Dad said Dad would uh, butcher a steer and send him home with meat. He, that's who he was, and them were his friends. And uh, but he uh, he had been everywhere, you know, and he he could uh, serve as a go go between between the the non-Indian and the Indian. And I know he was a very religious man. He was, I think, a deacon in the Presbyterian Church. And what I remember about living at Aunt Joe's is you'd go out to the outhouse and he had written Bible verses on the inside. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of, of Aunt Joe's. And, and then... Um, my other cousins were telling me about Aunt Joe wasn't feeling good, and Uncle Bud came into the house, and he was laughing because Grandpa on the barn had written, Jumbo's getting a little brother. <laughs> and no- <laughs> Yeah, and nobody knew that. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but he for some reason, and sure enough, he did get a little brother. Yeah. <laughs> so he must have been very insightful, you know, and uh, a very deep thinker is what I I believe. He was evidently observant because Aunt Joe told my mother she didn't know she was pregnant. She thought she had a, a tumor in, in her stomach. That's what she told my mother, but evidently Grandpa knew all the signs of uh, what was coming. Yeah. But getting back to this issue of uh, him being religious, he uh, he had gone gone to Manderson, which is full blood country, and uh, being he was uh, an elder in the church or. He was going to preach the sermon, and he was sitting up front, and these Lakota women behind him were talking. I wonder who this white man is that came to talk to us. And So when he got up there, he preached a sermon in Lakota, and he, he told Mom that these women hung their heads and they were really embarrassed you know, <laughs> because they they had talked that way. And he knew what he, they said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always remember him. Back during that time, almost everybody prayed at the, the meals. And he had this deep voice. And uh, he when he talked, he would smack his lips, you know, like that. And he would he would pray over the meal, and I always liked to listen to him pray because he had a a deep voice. Well, that you know, I'm so thankful that you took time out of your day to share these stories. I think they're they're stories that are going to be lost if we don't put them down. And you know, it's not like anything spectacular, but it's everyday things that happen to people and. It needs to be understood how life was back then, you know. Yeah. Yes, this is just 
a part of what went on in the reservation. Some of us had it a little better than others. I, I did my own self because my grand, my dad, uh, he kept some of the traits and the behavior of his dad. So we had chickens and, you know, we, we had it better than other natives who just struggled to live. And many times us that had a better start in life, we tend to say these people can make it because I did, but that's not true. We all get our start in life from uh, our upbringing in the house, and others had to struggle their whole life just to survive when uh, some of us had a, a better start and we didn't have to go through them same struggles and to make people understand that where you can't paint us all the same because that, we're different that's some right. of us are, some of us are mixed mm -hmm. and that makes us a little more aggressive and the others are they broke their spirit uh, i see a wounded knee when they did what they did, and they were contented just to go along and uh, just to appease the government because they knew what happened there. That's my belief. And the boarding school days is another story. Yes. There's and, uh, plenty and, to be said about that. Yes, and... And I I hope that you'll come on Lakota Link again because I uh, I know you just have a wealth of information and not not very many people have such a good memory of those days and so thank you Vic. Well, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to enlighten people what went on and. Some people, like I said, had a, a pretty good uh, upbringing when others just struggled through the Depression and ate horse meat and prairie dogs, and, and others had beef. But thank you for giving me the opportunity, and uh, I believe you're uh, doing a good job in educating people as to what went on in this country, period, Not also with non-Indians and others that left and made their way in the world. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I, I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background, please subscribe to it. Or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us, and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.